Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. UFOs are being encountered all around the world in record numbers. The truth is finally coming out from scientists, governments, and the military. These mysterious objects in our skies are real. I was scared to death. Why is this happening to me? I've never been really frightened in my life except for that instant. Ordinary people who have had terrifying, life-changing encounters with UFOs and alien life can now come forward without the fear of ridicule. An alien abduction encounter is a very traumatic experience, one that is deeply disturbing, deeply unsettling. These personal and emotional stories are tipping the scales to belief. This is going to change the world. This is going to change the way people think. We will finally know for sure that we're not alone in the universe. The tall creature approached me with a tool. I was yelling, screaming, you know, get me out of here. I started to question my sanity. It is absolutely life-changing and mind-blowing. Was this real? Was this a dream? In this dawn of the age of the UFO, what was once thought impossible is now becoming very real. Are these things really science fiction? I don't think so. Well, they say seeing is believing, and Encounter UFO is a brand new television series that brings to vivid life the most incredible UFO sightings and close encounters of the modern era. The series combs the most compelling visual evidence of UFOs, iPhone footage, video, photographs, with the first-hand accounts of those who were there. Encounter UFO takes the biggest mystery of our time and turns it into edge-of-the-seat viewing through riveting experiential storytelling. And Nick Crow is one of the executive producers. Hey, Nick, welcome back. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me again, Richard. Just finished watching the first episode. Congratulations. It's uh, beautifully shot. And uh, the dramatizations are uh, incredibly powerful and effective. What uh, drew you to this particular project? You know, this is the fifth UFO-related project that I've worked on uh, in my uh, career in TV. As you know, the narrative over the last few years has largely surrounded the sort of declassification of documents and government disclosure. And for me, as TV shows, these UFO series had taken on almost sort of a military history kind of uh, approach. So I was keen to go back and hear from the firsthand accounts of some of the most compelling sightings in modern history and particularly cases where we had some kind of evidence, whether it was video or photographs. And, you know, given that we are in this new era where people are more amenable to, to imagining that UFOs may be real and life may be, uh, exist beyond our planet, I thought, let's, let's revisit some of these people who may have been dismissed. Right. And you talk about a new era in the series, Encounter UFO. You describe this new era of UFOs as being one of acceptance and understanding. What does that mean? Well, I think for years, if you had an interest in UFOs, let alone, you know, a belief in UFOs, you're, you were deemed a bit of a kook or a crackpot. Uh, it was a bit of a like a joke punchline, you know, bring out the tinfoil hats and I think, you know, given some of the acknowledgements that the government, uh, certainly in the U.S., have made recently, given someone like Avi Loeb at Harvard, who's, you know, given this sort of 
a sort of an academic sheen, a credibility. I think the discussion has changed and people are more willing to, to consider these ideas that were once seen as really far out. It was very terrifying. I remember I fell asleep on my couch and I woke up to someone trying to get him in my front door. Like the doorknob was, was jiggling. And I went to get up. I couldn't move. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to panic because of somebody trying to open my door and I can't move. Stuck in a terrifying limbo and longing for his nine millimeter, Terrell hears an otherworldly voice. The voice was in the room. It was as if like uh, there was a person there, but you couldn't see him. The voice said, it's okay. Uh, we don't mean you any harm. You don't need your firearm. I had so many emotions and thoughts running through my head at, at one time. You know, am I about to get taken? The first episode, at least the one I saw, focused on alien abductions and featured three abductees, Helen Moon from the UK, Aaron Montgomery from New Mexico, and Tyrell Copeland, a Marine from, I believe, Virginia. Let's talk about Tyrell Copeland's case. Kind of a classic alien abduction story, right? It ticks all the boxes. Paralysis, missing time. Tell us a little bit more about his, his encounter. Yeah, um, so Terrell has this, he wakes up on the couch. Um, he, yeah, he has this, this case of lost time. Terrell is also uh, a veteran, so I, we're somewhat, it was in, intriguing that his first impulse is to reach for his revolver. But he, he definitely, whatever, whatever he's encountering, he feels there's a malevolence there. But again, you know, the classic symptoms, if you will, of an alien abduction, you have the paralysis, you also have the missing time. He would wake up suddenly, like at 5.30 in the morning to go to work and couldn't account for like two hours. All of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it was 5.30. He remembers 3.30. The next thing he knows, it's time to get up. He miss, he's missing two hours. This went on for a couple of nights. That's classic stuff, right? That, that's a real commonality. Yeah, I guess going back to Betty and Barney Hill, which is, um, you know, within each episode, we have our three main stories, but I was keen to sort of flesh out sort of the, the bigger picture of, of aspects of the phenomenon across history. So Betty and Barney Hill was obviously the, the first classic abduction case and with lost time being a, a huge feature of that. That's certainly and, the template. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's a fascinating and terrifying thing to, to this idea of losing time hours and hours going by unaccounted for. And uh, Aaron Montgomery in New Mexico. This is a particularly harrowing case because she has, through hypnosis, I guess, she has memories of a child. This is another commonality. You have the paralysis, you have the missing time, you have these entities, but then either through hypnosis or perhaps on their own, they remember that this happened before, incidents in their childhood. Aaron's encounter at a very young age, it's really kind of sickening when you think about what happened to her. 
Yeah, she she is definitely not encountering, you know, uh, Spielberg's E.T., this uh, kinder, gentler extraterrestrial that's going to help us become better people. She goes through the full range of experimentation and instruments and, and, and all of that. So for her, this is completely harrowing. And, you know, I think she's someone in her interview, you, you can see it in her face that this is someone that has experienced something traumatic. Right. Torture is actually a word that comes to mind. She was subjected to torture. I mean, she described it as this gelatinous sort of biological object that was inserted into the roof of her mouth. And then we have, and we'll come back to some of these cases later, but I just wanted to kind of summarize them. Then we have Helen Moon, a woman in the UK who held on to this story for 40 years and didn't tell anyone for fear of ridicule. Why did she finally come to you and your crew to uh, unburden herself? Well, you know, I think part of it is this change in the the overall conversation that we're having about this sort of on a global basis and, and certainly in the press, the way it's being depicted. But, you know, we we have 24 stories over eight episodes, but we approached 150, 160 people. And I think we had to have we had to have a, an approach cemented before we started talking to people that we assume that the experience that's being described to us is uh is something that actually happens that the person believes this happened to them so that we take great care and respect when someone is telling us something that is difficult or traumatic and I, you know i think that documentary filmmaking that cuts across subject matters whether it's a war story or, or, or a ufo story that you treat someone with respect and you listen and you ask smart questions. So, you know, I was very proud of the access to some of the stories we got that had been, I think, traditionally tough gets. And I, you know, I think showing, showing these people that we're not just dabbling in this is something we're very interested in and we're very interested in taking a, an intelligent, compelling look at it. This is uh, 40 years ago, so 1980. She's traveling with, I believe, her parents and her own children on a road trip up to uh, Scotland when she sees this triangular craft, and we'll come back to that because we suddenly now find ourselves in an era of no longer talking about the Kenneth Arnold uh, flying saucers. Now it's all about the, uh, the triangular craft, the black triangular uh, craft. Helen Moon, traveling up to Scotland with her family, sees this craft hovering just above the car. She actually has the presence of mind. I was impressed by this. She reaches back into the back seat for a camera because we always wonder, you know, why don't we have more photographs? And this kind of explains why. She reaches back, she grabs her camera, she doesn't take a picture. She feels as if there's this sort of ominous warning, as if her mind is being read, She's, she puts the camera down. She feels like there'll be some sort of a repercussion if she takes the picture. Is this something that you discovered? Is this another commonality that, that people felt they were being warned not to take a video or a photograph? I don't know that that recurred. I mean, I, I know that they're one of the the current ways that, that these stories are being dismissed is that as photographic technology has advanced, we still get the same grainy garbage looking pictures of UFOs from people that looked like they were taken 60 years ago. But I, I don't I don't recall that pattern emerging. I do think that when you think about anything interesting you see out in the world and you reach for your iPhone and try and snap a picture of it, it's often gone before, before you have that opportunity. And I think in a lot of these cases to experience something so out of the ordinary, I, I don't know that all of us would have the wherewithal to, to get that picture in time. Absolutely. But I, 
Yeah, but I do, I do think that what does sort of echo across some of these stories is this feeling of malevolence. And I guess it's, it's, you know, maybe a natural human instinct that that, that we don't understand or recognize the fear instinct kicks in. So I would say that the bulk of our characters fear was maybe the primary response with the exception of some of the more seasoned uh, military pilots or aircraft uh, uh, commercial airline pilots. Right. The pain, the, in some cases, physical pain, the emotional trauma is certainly there in their retelling of these stories. Uh, And yet, as you point out in this episode, there is this feeling of transcendence after they get through the other side, despite the trauma. Were you surprised by that? No, I, I, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I've imagined myself what that would be like. And I, I think it would be, it would be an incredible revelation. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the question that we're all puzzling over is, could this be real? Is there life out there? And I think, you know, um, both for better or worse, there's a feeling of being chosen when you do have this kind of encounter. And, you know, on the one hand, it, it could feel like a curse um, for someone like uh, Aaron Montgomery for others, it feels like you've been given a secret, a glorious secret. I've always wondered if maybe there's a little bit of a kind of a Stockholm syndrome at play there, where particularly if it happens repeatedly, and we know typically or uh, in these cases, it's kind of, it can be generational and it can be a repetitive thing throughout one's life. And, and uh, as Aaron Montgomery described, it's happening all the time, whether there may be a little bit of that Stockholm syndrome where they actually come to have an affinity for, for their abductors. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, you know, the other, the other idea we had was, does, does that openness to it make you uh, a target or a mark for whatever might be out there in terms of this is someone who would be amenable to contact and repeated contact? Erin's hypnosis session reveals something startling, a deep impression that she had been visited by these strange creatures before as a child. I was seven years old, and I remember I had gone to bed, and I just felt that there there was this bright light coming through the window. And it was at that moment that I, I realized there was somebody standing next to the bed. And they're not alone. Erin sees there are two other unknown beings in her room as well. So there were three in the room, and the one at my feet slid his hand under my foot, and it was at that point in time that I levitated out of the bed. Levitation is one of the more common elements of abductions. They don't open the door. They go through the window or through the roof of the car, through a wall, through the ceiling, and invariably onto the craft. Which is exactly what Aaron claimed happened. I could feel my molecules like shifting apart and passing through the molecules of the ceiling, eventually out through the roof and into the sky. And all four of us are floating in what I then could see was a beam of light rising up to a ship in the sky. And it was a saucer-shaped ship. Erin's experience takes a horrific turn when she arrives inside the mysterious craft. They took me into a room, what I would call like an exam room or something like that. And they put me into a chair and strapped me in so I wouldn't be moving around. 
And it was at this point that another being entered the room. Erin remembered this entity was not like the others. Its appearance fills her with a desperate fear. I became so terrified of this being that I tried to get out of the chair. I was yelling, screaming, you know, get me out of here. The creature approached me with a tool that was like a fork. It had two prongs on it, and, and resting in the middle of the prong was a biological, like, gelatinous piece of something. It was inserted into the roof of my mouth and woke up in the morning with no memory at all of what had happened. You ever think in terms of this happening to a child, no informed consent, which is something we're hearing a lot about these days, informed consent, and people that ascribe an advanced technology, but also an advanced perhaps spirituality or morality to these entities, whatever they are, wherever they come from, and yet they are doing this to small children without consent. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I, you know, and I wonder how, how much of our ideas about, about these beings is informed by the, the sort of waves of Hollywood depictions from the, you know, the body snatchers through to the eighties where we've got these friendly ETs that might help us be better people. Um, but yeah, certainly the stories involving children are, are troubling. So the other question that this series poses is this terrifying possibility that these unknown species or entities have this ability to just kind of like flit in and out of our reality and abduct us and do with us what they will at random. No one is safe. That's kind of a, uh, a disturbing and frightening uh, thing to contemplate, to say the least. It is. It is. And I think if you look at the, um, you know, the declassified military footage and, and you see the way these objects behave, it, it does pose a set of troubling and interesting questions that, that what could we possibly do um, to protect ourselves if, if they have these capabilities that fly circles around our most advanced military craft? And I suppose on the flip side, I, the other question to ask would be, if they are so technologically advanced, why are they so interested in us? Um, what, is, what is it about us that would be compelling to them? You know, uh, is it like a human being staring at an anthill? I don't know. It's, but it, it's an interesting set of questions. Well, you, you do broach that in the, uh, in the first episode, Encounter UFO, again, every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. on TNE, Canada's leading paranormal television broadcaster. You broach the, the, the motive and that has to do with, it would appear to be reproduction. And, and you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's reproduction. I think the, the, more, the more common one I've heard, um, I had a chance to interview Paul Hellier, who sadly uh, died last week. Paul's thing was that the, the children are playing with matches and, and we need to do something about it. That the, whoever is out there is terrified that we're going to blow up our planet. And, and that, that's why there seems to be this attraction to nuke facilities and military bases. But also, yeah, of course, the, the reproductive aspect recurs as well. Right. Erin Montgomery suspects that she had an alien-human hybrid baby inside her, and it was removed at three months. Is that something that has come up as you're, being, as you're producing this series? Has that type of situation surfaced again and again? 
that Aaron's story was unique. I mean, that said, we um, of the eight episodes, abductions was, I guess, about as um, far out as we got. Yeah, that wasn't a story I heard uh, many times. We were talking about the triangular craft, sightings of these huge craft, sometimes hovering in silence, defying all known physics. It seems to be ramping up. We used to talk about flying saucers or occasionally, you know, cigar shaped craft. Now it's all about these black triangles. What do you think is going on there? I'm not sure. I mean, that my first awareness of that was um, the Arizona wave uh, and then the black triangles in Belgium. It's curious. I mean, I don't have a great answer for it, but you're right. The depiction of what these things look like, there seems to be a distinct pattern over the decades and triangles seem to be the current thing that people see. Also, the physical descriptions of these entities, a slit for a mouth, no ears, large black eyes, the greys, right? Uh, what What other types of species have your witnesses encountered? By and large, the... The series, we're not meeting people that have actually encountered a, a lot of uh, uh, beings face to face. I mean, far more typical would be like the Stefan Mahalik story where, I mean, that that's quite a close encounter. But the people we did talk to seem to see the greys, the, your typical greys. So give me a sense of where the series is heading. Again, I saw the, uh, the first one debuted on August the 10th and dealt primarily with alien abduction. What else can we expect from the series Encounter UFO? Yeah, so we've got eight episodes. We have an episode on security threats, which is very interesting, which, as I mentioned, it's, it's people working in nuclear facilities or military bases. The Rendlesham Forest story, which is uh, obviously a famous one. Uh, we have pilots, an entire episode around both commercial commercial airline pilots and military pilots that encountered incredible things in the sky. And it, they're, they're very interesting because their reaction is is glee. It's, you almost feel like, you know, if you spend your life in the sky, this is something that maybe in the back of your mind, you wonder if you'll see something one day. So those guys aren't frightened. They, they're quite gleeful. Um, and, you know, we have an, an episode on mass sightings um, and physical contact, uh, which is where we interviewed uh, Stan Mahalik, uh, Stefan's son, which which for me was a was a really big get because, you know, any any of us who live in Canada that have an interest in the subject matter know that the Falcon Lake story so well. Um, and it was just wonderful to meet Stan, a uh, terrific guy uh, with a, such a rare story to tell. It all began back in 1980 when Helen, her parents, and her three children went on their annual road trip to Scotland. Everybody was in good spirits, you know, and looking forward to time away. But their idyllic journey would soon turn to terror. This is, is burned, seared into my memory. What they say they witnessed would impact them for the rest of their lives. It was a black craft. It was triangular and it just slowly rose through the trees. It was totally, totally silent. I knew that what I was looking at couldn't possibly be there. It cannot exist and yet it's there and I was very frightened. And the children began to get nervous. 
She got a very strong impulse. This UFO is very close. It's right overhead. This is something that is coming for them. Awestruck, in a moment of fear, Helen reaches for her camera to snap proof of the incredible sighting, only to be overcome by an otherworldly directive. And the camera was just behind me on the window ledge. And as I reached back, I got this terrible fear that I mustn't do this. It was just a, a very, very strong feeling. It was very intense. I think it was reading my mind. This comes up in uh, research. There are cases of individuals who will just know instinctively, as they did, don't touch that camera because there'll be ramifications if you do. Helen and her family are unable to do anything but watch helplessly. As the strange craft flies away and eventually disappears. Like it never happened. The next conscious thought, we were suddenly at Edinburgh. And we arrived there actually on the stroke of midnight. We should have been there about six, half past six in the evening. and. Uh, we were all, what happened? What, what, where have we lost the time? What, nobody had any memory and we were just so confused. This realization raises Helen's encounter to a whole new bizarre level with frightening and gut-wrenching implications. I think that we were taken somewhere. I've no proof of that. I just know that it happens. Something abducts you. And, and your children, that's an invasion uh, of the very worst sort. We look at December of 2017 as kind of a, a significant uh, period because that's when the New York Times article came out alerting us to the secret Pentagon UFO study group called ATIP. And ever since then, there's been this kind of a sea change in the way that the media treats the whole UFO uh, field uh, and topic, UFO ET field. But where do you think we're going from here in terms of disclosure? I'm not sure. I feel like I feel like there was a lot of buildup through the, the early part of this year that sort of deflated um, with the report that came out that, again, it's, yeah, something's there, but we don't know what it is and we have no evidence to say precisely what it is. I, I feel like we're probably, we're not going to find out the truth anytime soon. That That's my gut. Uh, I'd be curious to know what what your your take is on it. I would agree. I, I don't think that we can ever expect some sort of formal disclosure and announcement from the the Oval Office or Parliament Hill or whatever on as to the reality of of UFOs and ETs. But I think the approach that the media takes now to this subject has forever changed. I know I don't know that we'll ever go back to oh little green men in flying saucers har har har. I think we're over that. Maybe the the next thing will be this is discussed in the first episode is this emerging new science. You know scientists now seem to be very interested in in this and trying to figure out propulsion systems and is it is there something faster than the speed of light. You mentioned Paul Hellyer. He talked about gravity perhaps being faster than the speed of light. And maybe there will be an, an emerging new science looking at this. Maybe we'll start to see university courses in ufology. That's what do you think? I, I think that would be incredible. I mean, we, we speak to Dr. Laura Thursby, who's, uh, you know, just one of my favorite characters in the series. And, you know, she's another person that's bringing a, a very intelligent, curious um, 
uh, look at, at the phenomenon. But yeah, no, I, 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 I'm all for that. I think it's fascinating. I've always thought, you know, the way to look at it is it, if we assume for a moment that these things are real, then how, how would that, how would an object behave like that? If we know that it's traveling at, at, at you know, the rate of speed it's traveling at, if we can have some sense of the size of it, then what, what would, what could function that way? And I guess the problem is we only have our own world to sort of draw from and our, our, our own innovations and our, and our own engineering. And it's, it's a limitation because I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure the truth is probably far stranger um, than we can grasp. I'm not sure about the, the shooting schedule for Encounter UFO, the series. You've done eight episodes. You've talked to 150 plus witnesses. I'm not sure when it was shot and so forth, but do you think the pandemic had any effect on ufology? So for example, you know, people being stuck in their homes, are more people seeing UFOs or is it simply more people are having time to, you know, sit, reflect and think about UFOs stuck in their backyard, looking up at the night sky? Do you think the pandemic has had any effect on ufology? I, I wonder, I, I'm trying to remember uh, Chris Rutkowski's survey. I, I, I think there was a slight uptick um, in, in sightings during the pandemic, or at least the first year of the pandemic. I would think the answer is maybe more philosophical that dealing with, with COVID as maybe we're, we're, a lot of us are rethinking our place in the universe and, and our, our purpose here on earth. And I would imagine that there's a greater sort of willingness to consider some of these ideas from people that maybe weren't willing before. But I don't believe there's been a huge uptick in sightings. Um, yeah. You mentioned the survey, this national survey. It was commissioned by, again, TNE. And it was conducted by market research firm Ipsos. Uh, some interesting revelations here. Let me just go through these. Some of these it revealed one in 10 Canadians claim to have seen an identified flying object. So one in 10 have claimed they've seen a UFO. Among the 1,000 Canadians polled, more than half, 56% believe in UFOs, while a majority, 65%, believe intelligent extraterrestrial life exists. The belief that aliens exist is more prevalent among men, 70%, than women, 61%. And among millennials, 69%, Gen Xers, 71%, and then boomers, that would be me, 58%. Any surprises there for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm not surprised. No, I think it seems to cut across demographics. I think even, even someone like my mother, who's 84, her, her attitude, she's never really considered UFOs, but her take on it is, well, it would make sense that something is out there. It makes more sense that something would be out there that something is not out there. This one's interesting. When it comes to speculating about aliens visiting Earth, according to this Ipsos TNE poll, most Canadians expect interstellar visitors to be friendly like E.T. and unlike the villainous aliens you see in films like Independence Day. I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I'm more puzzled by that, I guess, just because of the uh, over the years talking to a number of abductees. And they're always not always. I would say the majority of them have this kind of sinister undertone or overtone or whatever you will, why people would think, assume that they're going to be friendly. Any thoughts on that? I, I think it may be wishful thinking or, you know, maybe it's, it's, we're hoping we would be friendly. Uh, we would be welcoming uh, as they arrive, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you that by and large, the encounters I've heard tend to be 
human beings seen as something to experiment on, poke and prod and, and see what we're all about. Wishful thinking. Right. Wishful. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Nick Crow, executive producer of Encounter UFO, a new series that debuted a couple of weeks ago. It airs every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on TNE Canada's a leading paranormal television broadcaster, Encounter UFO, airs Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. on TNE. How about for you personally? Did this series, I know you've been toiling in this, uh, this arena for a while, but did this series in particular have any special effect on you in terms of your attitudes or beliefs regarding UFOs and ETs? I think it just, it, it continues to amaze me that what happens to regular people. And I think you can be dismissive of these people, but and we didn't do the interviews face to face because of COVID. So we had remote crews, but certainly on other productions, you know, when you, you're talking to someone face to face and they're telling you a, a story like the ones in this series, you're really hard pressed not to believe that at the very least, this experience they believe is something that happened to them. So I'm, I'm, and I'm amazed at how it's all kinds of people from all walks of life, all demographics, all corners of the world. Um, it seems to cut across every line. Are you now a, a firm believer or do you still hold out the possibility for some more prosaic explanation? So for example, maybe something terrible, very traumatic happened to, to some of these people. And it's almost like a psychological defense mechanism. The psyche puts up some sort of a, a false memory to cover something that's even more horrible to imagine. I still, and it's such a cliche, I, I, but I know no other way to say it. I want to believe, I, I really do. I love thinking about this idea, but I, I still need evidence <laughs> and proof. And I think the, the firsthand accounts from people in the series is, is a kind of evidence, um, but I think you're, you're right. And that sometimes there can be something else at play and sleep paralysis was a really interesting thing to explore as a, a sort of uh, theme within the abduction episode, I've, I have experienced sleep paralysis and it's completely terrifying. It's, it's very traumatic. It's a very, very helpless feeling of being awake, but paralyzed. So I think you're right. All right. Um, so again, T and E contact your local cable provider, T and E Canada's leading paranormal television broadcaster Tuesdays at 9 PM Eastern Encounter UFO, Nick Crow. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.